Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Thank you that you are God all the time on the throne in control and good. That your word is accurate and true and that it is coming past. God, that we are part of your plan and that you have inscribed us under the palm of your hands, Lord God. I pray, God, today that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive the revelation of your truth. And that you draw people to the revelation of your word, to destruction of your word, to the desire to know you through your word, your um, Holy Spirit. I ask you to give us divine protection, journey, mercies, cups in our health, safety, and our traveling, our vehicles, and our finances, our property, our families, our relationships, all that pertains to us because we know that the enemy has formed many weapons against us, but your promise is that none of those weapons will prevail. So Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you've sent uh, set us about to do your will, do your, to bring forth your kingdom. If thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth and through us right now as it is in heaven. Amen. And so today we're going to be talking about um, taking a deeper look at why is my life so messed up and taking a deeper look into the rabbit hole of sin, salvation, uh, and Satan. Uh, Good morning, honey. Well, good Are morning. Are you there? Yes, I am here. Back. I'm present and accounted. Right. Very positive topic today, of course, the devil himself, which... <laughs> we're positive he's alive yeah. and working. And we're there. positive he yeah, does. But you know, there's a, a big problem. A lot of people have, Christians, I think, maybe other people, people I don't believe the devil exists or that evil exists. Or it's a, you've kind of got some ideas about... Well, yeah, there there are some you know common views about Satan. Some people th- deny he really doesn't exist. Neither that's, does God. So that's, that's I don't just, know what our right. problem is. That's there. just a myth. You know, it's a way that we can explain why bad things. Or it's happen. a force. It, it, or it's some kind of impersonal force of evil. Um, or it's the expression of depraved humanity. Yeah, sure. And then uh, and then some people don't give him if they admit that he exists. We don't give him uh, enough attention, or we can quickly and we'll write him off as a defeated foe. Exactly. And so we're going to explore that a little bit today. Yeah. Give too much credit, too much attention right. by and talking about. Are you just talking about? You should just talk about Jesus, and uh, don't give him the attention. But when we think of the ministry of Jesus that we'll get into a little later, Jesus gave. Um, yeah, he came to seek that which was lost. But he gave attention to the devil. He dealt with the devil head on. He dealt with demon powers yeah. head on uh, and the effects of them in the lives of people. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, he does exist. Evil does exist. And it doesn't exist. It manifests through the bad behavior of people, the very depraved things that people do. Uh, but, but if we're living in a place of denial, we're living in a place of deception. Um, so that of that word deception, deception has many forms. And as you just said, you know, it can take 
on, you know, the ignoring, overreacting, underreacting. Um, but how do we deal with the devil? I mean, God gave us, Jesus gave us power, like you just said. He dealt with them head on. But he also gave us power and authority over all the power of the enemy. And he told us to cast out demons. So obviously, I mean, uh, you know, even, you know, all through the, the New Testament, every book talks about the devil. Peter talks him about, about him as a, a, a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. Um, you know, James says, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. Um, these are all admonitions and warnings and instructions given to the believers um, Paul says, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Well, what was he fighting a fight against if there's no foe, you know? Yeah, that's and right. if the foe is totally defeated, then what was he fighting against? And really, it, it goes back to who is God? Is there a God? And if there is mm-hmm. a God and he is good and all powerful, why does he allow evil to continue generation right. after generation after generation? Well, this makes sense. If, if there is no devil, then God doesn't make sense. Grace doesn't make sense. Nothing God did make sense. And then God becomes a, a conundrum or a contradiction to himself. Like he even says about himself in um, Isaiah 45. Uh, well, he's got a lot of things he says about himself. Let's, he admits in 45, 6, and 7 that he brings forth calamity and peace. I mean, so those are opposed opposites off, off, obviously but he says also that he is there to comfort his people and that's isaiah 40 verse 1 comfort yes comfort my people in 40 verse 10 he says behold the lord god shall come with a strong hand uh, he will feed his flock like a shepherd and then um, those that wait upon the lord shall renew their strength um, and then in isaiah 43 he says i am he who blots out your transgressions so god is giving a lot of uh, first-hand personal reports about who he is, but it's kind of disturbing, I suppose you could say, that he also he admits that he, he says, I'll read it to you, um, that you may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. That's verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 45. Now, you obviously, if the Lord God himself is admitting and then uh, confirming I do all these things, then we have to have some explanation or God becomes crazy, insane, bipolar, and uh, scary. And so what happens is that we develop, uh, and human, human beings over the, over the centuries have developed uh, uh, an inaccurate concept of who God is. And based on uh, what the uh, devil has told has, us. Has twisted. So yeah, exactly. a lot of people think, oh, okay, if there is a God, is is he a bad God or a good God? Mm-hmm. Or is he schizophrenic? Mm-hmm. Is he sometimes bad, sometimes good? Just like the old uh, mythological gods and goddesses right. of the Greek pantheon. Sometimes they did really good things, and sometimes they did really perverted things. And so we tend to pass that off on God because we observe so much evil on the earth. Well, and that's interesting, too, because... We have to realize that when Jesus came, the world was steeped in mythology and gods, demigods. Uh, they became known as the Greek gods, the Roman gods, etc., Zeus, etc. But in the beginning, that concept of God, these gods, their concept of God before the introduction of the one true God to Abraham was that these gods were fickle and they were furious and they were ferocious and they were, you know, immoral. Oh, 
they were egocentric. Yeah. And so you, they had, so the idea, the concept of placating the gods, sacrificing to the gods, giving the gods something to win their favor or get on their good side was, was all part of what idolatry was, was trying to buy them um, with whether it was a human sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, an animal offering, food offering, uh, worship, praise, whatever it was. So the gods then were, um, these are real, these demonic entities did exist. So the idea was man in worship, we were wanting to somehow placate God through sacrifice or discipline right. or religious Good rules work, or something yeah. to somehow put a, uh, a stop or, or uh, kind of uh, uh, slow down at least <laughs> the, the, the evil oh. that was coming upon people. Well, right. And so that kind of carried over, I think, into the New Testament concepts. Even God uh, in the Old Testament, um, you know, required sacrifices from the people, but that was for a totally different reason. It wasn't to keep him from killing them. It was to keep give him the leverage he needed to keep the devil from accusing them and claiming them. And so uh, that's another story for another time. But, but, but it carries on into the New Testament where we worship God through what we believe he wants. And we, you know, that's good works and good deeds and all this. stuff. So that twists the gospel of grace and the, and the, the love of God, the goodness of God into, into a work. And we see that actually kind of follows right through with the going back even to the heathens ways of worshiping and, and, uh, their gods. And so that becomes a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some people have a sort of a, they might not say it that way, but they have this kind of a deist concept of God mm-hmm. that he's out there. There is a God, but he's, he's either, you know, he's distant, he's remote, right. he's really uncaring about what's going on here on earth. He just kind of lets us, yeah. basically lets us uh, self-destruct. Right. And I, I know a lot of the founding fathers had sort of a deist concept of God. And I think that's, we get mixed up then too, because when you have a deist concept of God, you don't believe that you can have a relationship with him. He has no interest in a relationship with you. So he just wound this thing up and lets it spin, spin out, whatever, and pays no more attention to it. Now, why would he do that? What would be the purpose of creating a creation that you had no interest in and never wanted to interact with or have a relationship with? That would be like, What's that? I mean, is he a bored guy that just makes toys and tinkers with people like toys and things? I don't know. I, it, it doesn't. But but we have to go back to the true heart of God himself to find out who he is and what he says about himself. And he desires, obviously, to comfort us. He desires to uh, forgive or blot out our transgressions. To him, we need to understand why these transgressions were a big deal. Because what had happened was a tragedy beyond words when when um Adam and Eve lost the kingdom, so to speak, to the devil. Exactly. What, what was going on there? There was uh, deception. Uh, there was uh, choice. And there were consequences there in Genesis right. 3. So it wasn't just we made a bad choice. Well, yeah, Adam and Eve did make bad choices. However, they were deceived because there was a serpent there. Right, to deceive them. Yeah. In Genesis chapter 3, to deceive them. And then the consequences. God explains in Genesis chapter 3 what the consequences of this act were going to be. It really infected, it really changed the DNA of the human race. It, it, um, it brought about curses. You know, the earth was not going to bring forth its strength right. and the crops and so forth. And sorrow was going to be in childbirth and that sort of thing. So there's a whole set of consequences 
uh, uh, is kind of that's where the sort of where the avalanche started on Earth. Right. Uh, as far as as we know, as far as human history is concerned. Well, we became in enslaved. Uh, we became enslaved. Enslaved, lost, lost, enslaved, and I think we don't understand the severe consequences. We were actually captured by the enemy. All of creation was under his sway. The God of this world took over. And we were enslaved. We were, we were uh, marked for destruction, death, and eternal separation from God. So therefore, and it all came about as a result of the transgression. or the, That's why God was so interested in getting rid of the transgression. Let's go behind the, our transgression to the transgression of Lucifer, where he said he wanted to exalt his, he wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be, and that's what he said to uh, Eve. He says, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. Mm-hmm. So his desire was to be like God, to be uh, actually above God. To, right, to, to be de- God. dethrone God. Mm-hmm. Although he was created, uh, we read this in uh, Ezekiel 28, uh, Isaiah chapter 14. He was created as, as essentially, he had music right in him. He mm-hmm. had worship right in him. He was created as a beautiful uh, creation, entity, personality to, to bring glory to God. But then iniquity was found in it. Yep. There was a re- something to change, something twisted. There was a will, a free will in him that twisted and went against God in a, in a rebellion against him. And Jesus said in Luke ten eighteen, he said, I beheld Satan mm-hmm. as lightning fall from heaven. So he was, he was, he sought the throne, but he was dethroned from his position and then he, what he's done is he's come to infect human beings. He couldn't really hurt God, could do everything he could to hurt God's uh, most the right. God's crowning creation. Mm-hmm. And that was us human beings. Right. It's kind of like, you know, if you don't want to admit that there's a devil, it's like, how would you like to go to a movie where there's no bad guy? If there isn't a bad guy, if there isn't a villain, then, then anything the hero does makes no sense. It's, it's uninteresting. And there is no hero. Because there's nobody to fight. There's no war. There's nothing. It's, even in real life, you know, if there's no bad guy, then there's no point. And I think the obvious is that we can look at the consequences, the results, our messed up lives, our torment and broken things and heartaches and blah, blah, blah. And we can find out knowing, reading it backwards, there's got to be a bad guy. So there is, we're in this cosmic war, and we can talk about that a little bit more later. This major cosmic mm-hmm. war, this earth is a war zone. It's a total war zone. So there are constant battles going on, yeah. but there is an assurance of ultimate victory. Right. We, have, we have, as believers, uh, we have been given authority over serpents and scorpions, Jesus said, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt us. But we know that there's an ultimate victory coming, that this uh, human history is, is unfolding. And there's going to be an ultimate victory, ultimate defeat of Satan. And, and the kingdoms of this world this, are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he, Jesus Christ, will reign forever and ever. And that's the big picture. And the little intricate details of that big picture are begin with sin, Satan, and the Son of God. Actually, salvation as well. So, But if there is no Satan... If there is no devil, if there is no Lucifer, if there is no serpent in the garden, um, then there's no reasonable explanation for sin. Why would they have sinned? Why would they have made a bad choice if there was no choices to be made? Satan was the one who offered them the division. The first vision was given to them by God to take over the garden, administrate it. 
But Satan brought a second vision, which we which created division, which also creates separation. So they were now double-minded position where they were confused and deceived and chose. Uh, and based on appearances, based on the immediacy of the appearance of the fruit, it looked good to eat. It was beautiful. And it was there to make one wise. It was off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it looked by basic, you know, reasonable assumptions, assessments that this would have been an, a very wise thing to do, a good thing to do. And so Eve, being deceived, made the choice. And that was the door that opened for the sin to come in, sin and disobedience. So, But if there's no explanation for sin and there's no sin, then, then there's no reason for the atonement for sin, paid for by the blood shed by and the life given by the Lord God, the Son of God, for the remission of sin. And if there's no sin, the death of Jesus Christ was just, you know, it's just like a foolish overreaction on God's part to something that either didn't exist or was no big deal. Yes, well, you know, and what happens is that, Matt, uh, you, you know, Eve chose the desire for knowledge and God-likeness. Now, listen, she had, she was with God uh, every uh-huh. day. Mm-hmm. The immediate, it was really, you could almost say the immediate presence of God, her and Adam, could be like God. She was, she, God, she was where with God. Who, who knows everything? He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's a source of all wisdom and knowledge. Um, and so she chose something. She, she chose something that, in a sense, she, already, she had. already had. She already had, yeah. Well, you know, it's like, okay, so going back to the idea of if God doesn't exist or Satan doesn't exist or it's no big deal or sin is no big deal or, or you know, you could say, well, God, why didn't you just kill the devil? Or why didn't you just forgive the sin and be done with it? Well, because we have to understand that there, that God, this is a just God we're talking about, um, that holy, holy and yeah. fair. And, you know, the devil got this kingdom, not fair and square, but he got it uh, because Adam and Eve broke down. They believed the lie. They came over to his side. They failed. They they stopped believing for a moment in the true love of God and his full supply for them. And they looked elsewhere for that supply, for that completion. They were looking to the enemy to complete what God had begun in them. And I think that's our sin too. We look to the devil, uh, reasoning, good works, uh, the advice of others, opinions, whatever, to allow the work of God to be completed and not listen and walk in and abide in the Holy spirit who leads us in the way that we should go. So, Anyway, so the, the, the enemy was um, the, the idea of sin, the idea of the power and the, the terror of sin. It was, a, it was the act that created supreme uh, devastation, destruction, separation. So there had to be an ex- sin is a big deal uh, that the sin that broke the relationship that separated us from God, the wages of that sin, what Satan demanded was death. Satan went to God and said, no, the only way this is going to get fixed is if somebody dies. Now, either they all die, which the way Satan was going to solve the the sin problem. I'll just kill them all. They'll die for their own sins. Then it will be good again. Um, The sin will be taken care of. If everybody sheds their blood, I get to kill as many as I want. They all die uh, for their sins. But God had another idea. He says, well, if only one man sinned, then technically... Only one man would have to die. And they talk, Paul talks about that in Romans. So 
that was right. Satan had to agree with that. Okay, so now God's moving. He says, okay, one man's going to die. Now, you know, Satan, that none of the guys you got down there that are dying, none of their blood is, is good enough because they're already your slaves anyway. So they aren't even free to give their life freely to die. So the one who dies has to give his life freely. And there's, you don't have anybody like that in your kingdom because they're already all dead men walking, you know, just a matter of time and they're all dead anyway. So God says, I got, I got this. I got this. I will send one man who is free to die, who is willing to die, who will express my love for my children by dying for them. I will, will send him. And you say, well, why would God send his son? Why would God even permit such a horrible thing? And if God is okay with killing his own son, murdering his own son, then how can I trust that kind of a God? So, so you get all these tangles going on. But we have to understand that Jesus Christ willingly, the son of God, willingly laid down his life because he is the hero of the show, of the movie, of the, he is the hero. And to be crowned as the victorious one, mm-hmm. he would have to fight a battle and win. And his battle was over death, Satan. And in the, in the spoils, he gained back the human race when he rose from the dead. In, in your use of the, uh, excuse me, in in your use of the illustration of a movie, you know, uh, a movie is written. There's a script that's written, right? Uh-huh. So the script, so so the the writer of the script knows the whole story. We don't, you know, if we're seeing a movie for the first time, we don't know how's how exactly is this all going to turn out. Yeah. And so. And you know so what? Really, so the about- so the writer of the script. It was, it was, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, in movie formats, going back to the, the journey of the hero, there actually is a 12 kind of part step, three acts, 12 movements in the, in the whole film. And one of them is called the resurrection. <laughs> they take that after the big story you're talking about. The script, the author of this story is the Lord God himself. And he knows the beginning from the end and the resurrection near the end. Uh, the grand finale is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And fa- finally, the final act is, or the final um, movement in the, in the film is our resurrection, reuniting with Jesus. Um, but so getting into the, the understanding of when God, Jesus came forth, Jesus willing to lay down his life, it tells us how serious this whole thing was. Um, this wasn't just a little, you know, mishap here this was a thing that had created all all creation came under the curse all creation still groans and travails and and even now if you're thinking satan is a defeated foe he is defeated in truth because at the cross jesus christ died and defeated death by raising from the dead so that part in truth satan is defeated in reality, however, he is not yet defeated. All things are not yet brought under the feet of Jesus Christ. And if you believe Satan is a defeated foe, that is true. Then you have to, the fight becomes to live, to believe that, to, to walk in that promise, to declare that. But, and you must declare that and believe that because it is true. But in, in fact, in reality, Satan is not yet defeated because truth and reality are not the same thing. For example, in truth, we are, when we get saved, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Um, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But in reality, 
I can still be seated in the dentist's office getting my teeth drilled. I can still be stuck in the rush hour traffic. So we have two things that are happening. We have two sets or two dimensions of life that are now happening. One is in, in the heavenly realm where I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places where I can go boldly into the throne of grace and mercy, even now as an earth dweller. And the other one is that I do still dwell on the earth and I am subject to, uh, you know, the assaults of the enemy, the setups, the curses, the generational junk. And therefore, if you, if you live in a la-la land where you say, well, the devil is a defeated foe, then you will not pay attention to what God says to do in, um, for, well, he tells us to Timothy, actually. In Second uh, Timothy, he said, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition to themselves. In humility, because a lot of people don't want to be told anything. So be careful, be soft, be in, be in love, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition to themselves. Their house has already been divided. They don't want to look at that yet. They're in denial. They're believing Satan's a defeated foe. There's no problems here. It's just human nature. It's just my depraved nature. It's just sin. It's just my choices. It, all this stuff throws it back on me and doesn't take it to the depth it needs to go to to root out the problem. He says, here, uh, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition to themselves, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, which means to turn around, change your mind and get the whole picture so that they may know the truth, not think and figure it out and try to reason it and try to get a theory that supposedly works partly, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So Paul is telling Timothy, this is still going on. People are still being taken captive. Um, uh, they need to come to their senses. They're being, they, to escape, you need to come to your senses and realize that you've been taken captive by Satan, even though you've been set free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So a lot of people are saved. That's one step. Step two is sanctified, which means to be deprogrammed. Um, get the unholy stuff out of you so that you can be holy, uh, set apart, sanctified, fit for the master's use. I mean, you may have a vessel. Uh, let's just say we have a pitcher or you can think of an old earthen vessel if you want to get, you know, archaic. A vessel. You have the vessel, but the vessel is filled with dirt and filth and the residue of generations of junk and whatever. It's not been washed out. So before you won't, can you pour anything pure and holy, good and nutritious into that vessel, you're going to have to wash it out. So you've got the vessel, but you still need to clean it. We've got the salvation, uh, but we still need to be cleansed so that we can be fit for the master's use. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, I'm reading this from the Amplified Bible. Mm -hmm. Be well-balanced, temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion roaring in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Withstand him. Okay? Mm -hmm. and, and the King James says, whom we resist steadfast in the faith. Be firm in faith against his onset, rooted, established, strong, immovable, and determined, knowing that the same identical sufferings are appointed to your brotherhood, the whole body of Christians throughout the world. So he's talking about the suffering that we that is common, enduring difficult times, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember what, what's going on in the midst of that. Now, suffering itself isn't really what kind of wipes us out, but if it 
if if we don't have a proper perspective on it, if we don't yeah. recognize the enemy, what the enemy is wanting to do in the midst of suffering, it, it's it's like we're going through a hard time. God has got a purpose that he's working right. out, and you can continue to trust the Lord, or you can complain and moan and resist and mm-hmm. give up on God and all that, sort of, which is what the enemy wants. So mm-hmm. he says, resist him steadfast in the faith, mm-hmm. in the Christian truth, mm-hmm. the, the faith that refers to not just faith where I believe God, but that's part of it, but it refers to the, the whole body of teaching about Jesus Christ, the church, uh, and uh, you know, the new covenant. Well, it's submitting to God, resisting the temptation uh, to give up, to become bitter, to become discouraged, to be to murmur and complain. I think that's, that's the biggest temptation. Of, but God says in Hebrews that he chastens his sons. What father doesn't you know, discipline or chasten or teach or train up his son? He does. But if he does, you know, and he says, and, and, but you, that is an indication actually that you're suffering, you're being chastened, corrected, grown up in God. That's an indication that you are God's son or one of God's children. If God doesn't chasten you, that indicates that you're not one of God's. You're a, you're a bastard, so to speak, and then using that word in its proper use. Because the thing is, some people seem to get everything happening good in their life. There's no problems ever. And, you you know, they're, you know, not getting any chastening, persecution, or suffering. And you look at them and say, hmm, maybe they're not even one of God's. Because the thing is, God's, God does not need to chasten us. The devil is going to do plenty of of that and what God is doing is permitting it. God doesn't, you know, look for ways to, um, you know, make us squirm and make us pay and make us, uh, you know, looking for a way to hit us over the head of the base- baseball bat. That's not God's nature. But Satan is always here to find fault with us. And in finding fault with us, he, he usually finds fault by bringing a thought into our mind that God isn't with us. God doesn't love us. God's not good. Or we're not good. We're bad. We deserve this punishment. And so Satan is trying, always trying to wrangle with us to get an agreement with him that God isn't with us. God doesn't care. It's, you know, you know God's not fair. Or some of this is all my fault. And with, you know, the, with the enemy being a defeated foe and not existing and we don't pay enough attention to what he's really doing, we have no other explanations. And, and the explanation that Satan is behind all this is lost in, in our desperate attempt to make everything good and look like like Satan is defeated. Well, yes, he's defeated, but he's not. He's still prowling around like a roaring lion. And so he's defeated in truth, but not in reality. And this is why Peter and Paul and all James talking about resist the devil, submit to God, resist the devil, fight a good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, stand your ground, so to speak. Put on the whole armor of God and so forth. Yeah. Another thing, too, is that there's there's the chastening of the Lord, the correction of the Lord that he brings us. How Sometimes we get confused about what is the correction of the Lord and what is just an attack of Satan. Well, that's sometimes, good. Yeah. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, well, it's, you know, the Lord is, the Lord is punishing me because I did something wrong or it's the chastening mm-hmm. of the Lord. There's a time to submit to God, to resist the devil, but there's, there's the chastening of the Lord. And then there's the attack of the enemy. Is there any way that we can kind of recognize the difference? Well, can we talk about that a little bit. The chastening of the Lord, God, you know, like 
a father permits certain, for example, you always have to go back with God and us, go back to a family analogy and then kind of fit your stuff in there. So sometimes the father permits the son. I mean, you, you instruct the son, don't do this, do this. This is good. This is not good. This would be a foolish idea, blah, blah, blah. And so, but the father permits the son because of a free will, and we have a free will in this relationship with God. God permits us to use our free will. And so some of us say, well, you know, this doesn't, we're, we're deceived, tricked, you know, bad friends, corrupt, good manners, good, good habits. So the father instructs the son, the son goes to school, the son goes out into the streets, the son goes here, there, wherever, meets a friend and begins to be, uh, listen to that person. Like it says in Proverbs, I think it's one, two, and three, you know, your, your consent to go with them to do evil and made a decision to do that. And as a result of that choice, through the deception, there will be chastening. There will be consequences. There will be heartache. There will be um, coming back. You'll have to turn around and come back somehow, back to the truth, back to freedom, back to God. So the chastening of the Lord is comes as a result of God permitting us to exercise our free will and the devil being very excited to take that opportunity to deceive us into uh, crossing, breaking a commandment, breaking a law, and then using that as his evidence, as his argument to go to God and bring consequences. So as, as he's bringing, she sinned, she believed me, she, li- she lied, she stole, she killed, whatever she did, and therefore I have a right to bring bloodshed into her family or to, into her life, or I have a right to bring a heart attack, or I have a right to, um, and, you, and people unfortunately, you know, just you know, say, okay, this is God's will for me. Um, it may not be. You know, God will give us grace in the suffering. God will give us grace in our, pardon my word, stupidity and foolishness for thinking this is God's will. But it's really not God's, it's God's permissive will because you've just believed another lie. Your first lie was to be deceived and go off and sin in the first place. Second lie is to believe that God did this to you and now you had it coming and you should suffer through it and, and you know, whatever. God said when you sin, he made it very simple. He said when you sin... First John, confess your sin. Tell me, come out of agreement with the lie. Confess it as a sin. And he says, and I am just and faithful to forgive that sin. And then he says in First John, right before that, he says, when you sin. Now he's writing this to believers. When you sin, and these are believers, that means they're already saved. When you sin, he says, he says don't tell me you haven't sinned. Don't tell me you don't sin. You're going to sin. You're going to sin. Sin means to be tricked by the devil, deceived by the devil, and go off and do what he says. And God says, when you get tricked by the devil, don't tell me you didn't sin. Eve didn't say, I didn't do it. She did say, I did it. She says, I got deceived. So then what you recognize, the deception part, that's the critical part. Oh, I got tricked. I believed a lie. I went to the devil's solution instead of the Lord's. That's the sin. The sin is really always the same root, believing a lie, believing that the devil's solution to the problem is better than waiting on God or waiting for God's solution or believing I can't wait that long or I'm going to die or I've got to have it. And this is why people crash and cave into the, the, the cravings, the addictions, that sort of thing, because they're being so tormented by the enemy who's demanding his drug or his, his whatever at that moment that they, they really have no human strength to resist that. So therefore at that point, if we understand what Paul is saying, we actually need a deliverance from a demon. 
And Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? So he's saying it is possible for Christians to need a deliverance from a demonic spirit who's operating in one area of their life or maybe several. And say that person can be a lovely person, want God, seek God, cry out to God in many areas of their life, and yet be still hooked, totally hooked, controlled by um, you know, an evil passion, Paul says in the Amplified Romans 6.12. He says, let not sin or permit not sin to rule as king in your mortal, short-lived, perishable body to make you obey it in its lusts, evil passions, and cravings. So, so Paul is saying to the believers, don't permit this. Well, we can say, I'm not permitting this. I don't want this. But at the next cry that's out of our mouth, we need to say, but Lord, have mercy and deliver me from this entity that's too great for me. Jesus demonstrated that all the time when he cast out demons. And some of the demons were holding people, good, kind, lovely people, um, temple worshipers even, in places of perversions, uncleanness, crippled backs, uh, hemorrhaging, blood flows, all kinds of blindness, leprosies, all kinds of things that demons were doing to them and they needed deliverance. So is it possible for us to... uh in the grace of God to deliver ourselves or do we, you know, a lot, you mentioned a lot of these people in, in the new Testament, right. in the gospels that needed deliverance. Some of them didn't know what they needed. All they knew is that, you know, my son is epileptic. My son has a spirit. They right. recognize spirits back in those days. They mm-hmm. recognize the deaf and dumb spirit, for example, or a spirit of infirmity with the woman that was bowed over, right. bent over. So there, there was a spirit there. Now, some of them, some of the people recognized him, some of them didn't, but it seemed like it was like impossible. They didn't know how to deliver themselves. So Jesus came along, knew what to do, did it. Is it possible for us to deliver ourselves from these things? Say if there's a spiritual stronghold in a person's life, a believer's mm-hmm. life, can they be delivered, you know, set free mm-hmm. from this stronghold uh, in a sense on their own with the help of God? Or is it required that there's somebody else, when Jesus said, you know, cast out devils right. in my name, they shall cast out devils. Is there someone else? Is this something that needs to be happening in the body of Christ uh, for some that are just kind of, in a sense, helpless in ourselves, even though we want to be free? Right. How does this work? Well, I believe it's both. I believe that you can, some people cry out to God um, and God delivers them without the assistance of another person. But it has to be with an understanding. You have to understand what you're doing. It's like this. Um, it's like a surgery. Uh, some surgeries you may be able to perform on yourself. <laughs> you know, I know you can take out your own slivers pretty much. Yeah, I heard, I heard a story years ago of a guy in the Philippine Islands in World War II, and he was a doctor, a medic or something. He knew he was his appendix was about to rupture uh-huh. and he, he, he actually removed his own appendix <laughs> yeah. and it's like, and he, and he survived and it's like, well, uh, that's, yeah. that's very extremely rare. <laughs> well, and that's extremely rare too, with persons getting deliverances outside of assistance. And that's why the Lord gave us power to help one another. However, in that deliverance, it's interesting. We must get the will and cooperation of the person. Otherwise, if you just cast out a demon, and the person is not cooperative or willing, then what's going to happen is the seven more are going to come back in. So you really want the person, they may be, it's like going to the doctor again. You need to have kind of a, 
the agreement is, okay, doctor, I'm signing this piece of paper, giving you permission to go in and open me up and take out my appendix. Um, I'm giving you that permission. Um, because if the doctor does it without your permission, you know, he's going to get sued. He's going to get in trouble. And so it's going to be worse for him than if he wouldn't have done anything. So the thing is, again, we need to understand that I believe uh, a lot of demons are not that strong. They, they just get to be there because they can be because nobody, um, nobody is making any attempts to get them um, removed. Nobody comes up against them. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. Exactly. That's, that's the deal. So, but can I say one more thing about that? So this deliverance, part of what the gifts were at the cross, when Jesus defeated Satan, uh, you know, wasn't just salvation. That wasn't the only thing that when we come to the cross, come to Jesus, come to repentance, accepting him, believing the promise that God is good, that God died for us, that he, he bought and paid for us. He bought us back from the powers of darkness and death and Satan. Salvation is one of the gifts bought and paid for by the Son of God on the cross. Death was defeated. But there were also... Um, and he gained his, you know, overcoming the gods of the God of this world. He overcame Satan in every way. The God of this world, all of the, the antics and, and activities and evil things that Satan does were de- defeated by Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, everything was defeated that needed to be defeated. And everything was gained and obtained, every gift, every treasure, healing, health, deliverance, um, restoration, justice, pain relief, freedom from guilt, striving and loneliness and alienation, isolation, abandonment. All these things were also ours and available at that, at the cross, at that point. Well, in first John chapter three, verse eight, in the latter part of that verse, it says for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works works of of the devil. And so all of these gifts are now, they're ours right now. Some people think, Oh, we have to wait till we die for all this stuff to happen. Well, I believe more will happen after we're past. We will get more of a revelation. We see through a glass darkly now and all of that. But at the same time, everything that's available for us at the cross, including salvation, is obtained through faith in the promise of God. Faith in the confidence that God does not lie, that God is good, that God is faithful to complete the work he's begun in us. So what he needs from you and I is the uh, faith the belief, the declaration that I believe, confession, I believe God, I believe you healed me, I believe by your stripes I'm healed, I believe that you set me free from the condemnation, the guilt, the shame, the accusations of the evil one. Uh, it, so everything we get from God is through the, an act of faith. Faith and obedience to that faith is the demonstration, um, uh, obedience is the demonstration of our faith. And so when we obey God, trust God, walk it out, do what he says, his manual for in the the New Testament is how to proceed in difficult situations, you know, not to murmur, to be kind, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, etc. These are the manual instructions for those who are walking uh, in faith. So could we call that deliverance through obedience? So we can, we can in, a sense, well, in a sense, be delivered by obeying God? Well, I would say it's this way. I would say it's sanctification through obedience. When you obey, you become more and more holy. The vessel becomes more and more clean. Uh, the impurities removed. And deliverance is one type of sanctification. Getting a demon out, getting a rat out of your house is one form of cleansing the house. However, I don't always 
have to get a rat out of my house, I might just have to grab a rag and a mop and wipe it down and dust it off. It's it's or, or two different things. Or swat a couple of mosquitoes. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, here. But the thing is, so going back to, for example, again, everything is, it's like this. If If you could think of salvation as, you know, at that moment, God put, grace in your bank account and the grace would be like um, all the millions and billions of dollars you would ever need to accomplish everything God has required of your life or has set you to do or or had for you designed for you to do the grace is there it's in the bank it's in your bank account yours only no one else gets to use it but if you don't go there and use it you can still live like a pauper you can live defeated you can live afraid sick and alone um, you know, your faith in this particular case and go to the bank and, and withdraw some of that money. So faith, there is an action that goes along with faith. Faith without actions, like James says, is dead. If you believe this room is wired for electricity and you don't walk over and flip the switch, your faith, you, you have faith that the room is wired, but you never sit, you sit always in the dark because you never went over and acted on your faith. You never went to the cross and said, oh, look, this is mine. Got my name on it. Um, this healing, this freedom from whatever, you know, whatever it is. So, um, but the enemy, the real battle, I believe, for our believers is to keep us from approaching the cross to obtain our gifts. It's like these gifts are there. They're given. They're ours. Our name is on them. But the enemy surrounded the cross with all kinds of fear, with all kinds of uh, rejection, unworthiness, guilt, accusations, not good enough. God's mean, God's bad. God doesn't care. And so as you see it, the cross is there on the hill. It's like you got to get to the top of the hill. It, your gifts are there, but the devil is in the, is in the valley. He's all around. He's trying to keep us from going there. So we have to fight the good fight. Um, the promises are for us. They're secured through obedience which, like I said, is the active demonstration of our faith. And that's what God's all about, believing the promises. It doesn't matter. You know, really, bottom line, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's going to look terrible out there. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It doesn't matter because that's all coming out of the devil's way to manipulate your soul. What matters is what God said and the fact that you believe it and you're going to believe it. You're going to go for it and believe that God is good and what he said is true. And the battle itself is evidence enough, I would think, for all of us to recognize that the adversary, though defeated, is still actually running around and holding, you know, holding a lot of people hostage. Excuse me. A lot of times what happens is that we, uh, we, we have to patiently, through faith and patience, and, yeah. we inherit the promises. So we're, we're kind of in an instant society. Everything's got to be fast, fast, fast. Computers got to be faster, faster, faster. Uh, all this stuff. We don't want to wait for anything. So what happens, like in our culture, we'll say, it will, or, or I prayed, well, the healing didn't happen instantly. So well, why should I pray anymore? Well, that is exactly one of the, one of the, the demons. Tricks of the devil. Right, to keep us from going to the cross. He gets us to believe many, any number of, of, of things, like we're not good enough or we don't deserve it or because we've sinned, God's mad at us, um, and we just have to accept this or... Everybody has pain. Um, we, we get hung up in the perceptions, and Satan puts those perceptions on us uh, to believe that we're bad, rejected, God doesn't care, like you said earlier. Um, so that, that reflects back on God, exactly the opposite of what he wants us to know him as. 
he's now suspicious. He's suspect. He, is he really good? Does he really care? Um, do I have to try harder um, to, to deserve or earn these gifts? You can't earn gifts, technically. You cannot earn them. But we're here trying to earn the gifts that are ours instead of saying to the devil who's, who's standing at the foot of the cross or on the approach to the cross, Satan, get out of my way. That is mine. That's got my name on it. Jesus died. It's got his blood on it for me. You cannot have it. You cannot keep me from getting it. Kind of aggressive faith, standing and having done all the stand, you know, with your armor on, not being arrogant, but being knowing that it is God who delivers us, that we can then have some victory in our life instead of being victims. God did not create you to be a victim, but a victorious one. Victims are full of murmuring and poor me. And nobody loves me and feel sorry for me. I don't, I don't care. If somebody feeling sorry for you is not going to help you be victorious or cause you to step into your true identity. It is not. It's actually going to do the opposite. So Paul is saying, you know, uh, stand fast um, um, to open the eyes of, of those who are uh, blind. Well, actually, Paul is commissioned by God, by Jesus, when he uh, was on the road to, to Damascus. This was what God, Jesus said to him, here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm commissioning you, Paul, to open the eyes, their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that, there may, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Notice he is commissioning Paul to battle the devil who is not yet thoroughly defeated on earth. Power um, the, to, um, to deliver to um, defeat from the powers of Satan that they may be delivered. So commissioned to cause people to know how to fight the good fight. If we don't understand that Satan is still very active today as a continued, continued active role in the destruction of both believers and non-believers, we won't resist him. We won't fight the good fight. We will give up. Um, we won't in humility correct those who are in opposition to themselves so that God can give them repentance so that they can come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been captured by him to do his will. See, all this is still ongoing. Paul was telling it to Timothy. Jesus was telling it to Paul. It's still ongoing. Peter is warning about it. James is giving us ideas on what to do about it. It's still, Satan is a defeated foe in truth, but not yet in reality. So people say, well, I don't want to give the devil too much power or credit by looking at what he's doing. Well, you know what? You can't live in this world with, with your eyes shut. You're going to run into something. And God wants us to stand fast, you know, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will fall. Well, it's, it'd be foolish if, if, if uh, uh, say, an American soldier goes into a hostile land, and we're in a lot of hostile lands right now, if they deny the Deny ISIS, deny the Taliban, deny, deny the enemy exists. Deny mm-hmm. the enemy mm-hmm. exists. Don't know anything about him. Uh, no, he's not really there. Uh, it's all in your imagination. It's all, but you know, we don't have to know what he's doing, where, where he is operating, what his tactics uh, are. Yeah. That would be just absolute stupidity. And it's the same thing too, if we, you know, in our in our lives uh, spiritually. So, in part of the way that we enforce. Mm-hmm. And lay hold of what God Jesus has provided for us on through the cross and resurrection is through prayer. Many times we, th- you know, prayer we think, oh, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, or thank you, Lord, for this food, and and or help me here, help me there. But the effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. Mm-hmm. James said, 
So there's a persistent and Jesus, this whole area, Marjorie, of, of, of overcoming the powers of darkness. Persistence yeah. has a lot to do with that, mm-hmm. you know. And G- remember, Jesus told the story in Luke chapter eighteen of the mm-hmm. of the uh, widow, the poor widow, and the unjust judge. And he, the, uh, she had her case. She brought her case before the judge, pleaded her case, and he, could, the judge, could see even though he was a crook himself. He, he said, "This woman is just going to be bugging me. She's going to be after me. She's so determined. I'll give her what she wants." Yeah. No, and now, and, and of course, God is, not, he is the just judge. He is the righteous judge. But here's what Jesus said in, in from the Amplified Bible, uh, Luke 18, verse uh, 1. He said, also, Jesus told them a parable. This is the parable we just talked about, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to turn coward, faint, lose heart, or give up. And then, uh, he 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 said, "Look at the the judge said, okay, I'm going to give her what she wants." And then the Lord said, "Listen to what the unjust judge says." And then verses seven and eight, he says, "And will not our just God defend and protect and avenge His elect, His chosen ones, who cry to Him day and night? Will He defer them and delay help on their behalf?" I tell you, he will defend and protect and avenge them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find persistence in faith on the earth? Now, many times we pray, 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 pray. Mm-hmm. Persistence in faith. We believe, Lord, I'm trusting you, I'm believing you. And time goes by, and we don't see the results. But then oftentimes what happens, we see the results come. They come speedily. They come quickly. It's a long wait. And then a lot of times it's a quick answer. Sometimes it just it almost surprises us as to how quick and how powerfully the answer comes and how uniquely that answer comes. And the interesting thing is our faith does not really depend on the outcome or the answer. Some of the people who believed God uh, to be delivered from the lion's den were actually eaten by the lions. So it's not really, and they were also put in the hall of faith. They were great believers, even though the outcome of their faith wasn't the answer they were hoping for at that moment. It was actually better Right, and let me remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, okay, our, the Lord uh, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, burning fiery furnace, but if not, we are not going to bow down to you. We're not going to bow down to your idol. Uh, you know, God's able. If he does chooses not to do it, we're still going to believe. We're still going to no trust. What, right? No matter what, right? No matter what. Exactly. So that's, that's the power of faith is it doesn't depend on an outcome. Um, so can we really give the devil too much attention or acknowledge him too much? Uh, possibly we can. I think some people freak out and they're too scared of him and that gives him power. You know, they're all taken up with the occult and investigating all that. Um, but we will never defeat the devil by knowing more about him uh, or, or acknowledging him, giving him more attention than he already has been given in the Bible. Um, we can't de-emphasize him or overemphasize him. We just have to know that he is and realize that we are really technically no physical intellectual match for the devil because he is smarter than we are. He's more powerful. However, we have been given authority over him. And that's the, that's the powerful caveat right there that if we use that authority in God's name, it doesn't matter if the devil is stronger than we are or smarter than we are. We have God backing us because God backs his children. And so here's the kind of the final conclusion. If 
the devil does not exist or he's a defeated foe, God makes no sense in what he did, what he does, and what he asks us to do. God is insane. He's crazy. He's bipolar. He's Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And to require the death of his own son in that bloody crucifixion makes us realize or wonder, um, who is he? Do I want to go there? Do I want to serve him? He's crazy. Or on the other hand, it could tell us if we understand the depth of sin and the power of its ability to destroy us and the Satan behind it, that it is a powerful demonstration of the love and forgiveness Oh, of God. But here's the deal. If God kills his own son and requires of us to love and forgive one another, this just, this just is even more crazy-making in our little minds. But so, so Satan has to be put in the equation for the explanation of everything. If Satan is not put in that equation for the moral explanation of everything, then we do not, then we do not comprehend what really the loss, the death, the doom, the capturing of humankind really was, what really happened in the sin of Adam and Eve. We have to realize, you know, how grievous, serious, deadly, final, destructive that was. So if we don't realize that, then we can't answer the question of why would God kill his own son? Why didn't God just get rid of evil? Why didn't he just destroy the devil? Why didn't he just say, it's okay, I forgive you? Um, You know, this is really dealt with very well in the uh, God on trial opening arguments, episodes one, two, three, and four. If you are interested, that is a magnificent uh, dramatization of how this conversation could have went down with the garden, with God's decision, the, the, the battle between his justice and his mercy to find a solution to this problem and the dilemma of humankind. Um, and I would encourage you to go to liferecovery.com and check that out. Um, they are downloadables and they are extremely inspirational and educational. Um, what do you, Yes, uh, I was going to say that the... Um, all that's gone on on earth, this whole thing of the fall of Lucifer, the fall of man, the necessary uh, crucifixion, resurrection, right. the need for Jesus to come. Uh, you know, us goofing up and yielding to the enemy, going back to the Garden of Eden, did not catch God by surprise. He had the whole thing planned, mapped out From way the ahead of time. He yeah. knew. Yeah, it's like, you know... Um, he, you know, with this, the death, the destruction of the human race, um, it was uh, required something much more powerful than just a simple little, okay, it's okay, I forgive you, because Satan would have never stood for that, because Satan demanded death. Remember, he wanted, he says, the ways of sin is death, they got to die. And uh, so God says, okay, well, going back to what I said earlier, let's see, one man sin, one man can die. We have to go back to the origin, uh, the, the first things to make the beginning fit with the end. In the beginning, the very first thing that we know of is that God is love. And because Satan hated God, he hates God's love for us. Um, he wasn't willing to believe that God truly loved us or that we would love him back. So when he demanded his price for sin, the remission of sin was the death either of the person 
the persons who died, who sinned, or of, of the Son of God, God says, I'll do it. I'll take, I'll take this on. And he already knew that he was going to do that because in the end it makes Jesus Christ the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, lawfully and victoriously and without any dispute. Um, and this was fair. So sin equals death equals separation forever from the love of God. And if God is love, that's not a good thing. It's not going to work to have my people separate. God, if, if sin equals death equals separation from God and God's love, then God is not vindicated in his love for us. And if God is not vindicated in his love for us, God is a fool for creating sons and daughters in the first place. And Satan wins unless a way could be found to satisfy Satan's demand and declare and fulfill um, the God's declaration of love. And the only way God can be vindicated is if we respond to his love. So in the death of God's son, the father um, had to endure. He had to endure watching his son die um, to hold back the intervention of the 12 legions of angels. They both had to go forward because this demonstrated indisputably the love of God. Um, There was no demon in hell that could stop it. Satan could not stop it. He had to stand and watch the Son of God die. And he knew in the Son of God's dying that he, his doom had been sealed because he actually at that point became a murderer. That was the first time, you know, that was Satan finally, trans, I mean, he, all these other transgressions and hurting and killing and murder and bloodshed that he did to people was not, it was technically, technically legal. He found a loophole. He owned them. They were his property. He could do whatever he wanted with creation and the world. But when he killed the Son of God, he, for the first time, became a lawbreaker himself, uh, that something that could be actually prosecuted in the courts of heaven, in the courts of justice. And also at that point, when Jesus laid down his life, God's love for us was demonstrated, the fact that love never fails. Well, the good news is this. (laughs) Revelation 20.10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Not good news for Satan, great news for us. This is coming. We know the end. We know the end of the story. Mm -hmm. We know that Satan and all his minions are going to be destroyed, tormented forever and ever. There's going to be a, a, a new world a, a true new world order, <laughs> not the false one that uh, Satan is contriving yeah. in, the, in the nations of the world today. There will be a true new world order, and there will be a true new world in which righteousness dwells. Mm-hmm. It will be demon-free, devil-free, sin-free, death-free, fear-free. No more tears. Morning, mm-hmm. Right. And it, it will be a place of freedom and liberty, and that's what we have to look forward to. The full to. expression of God's full intention in his heart yes, for us. Yes. So be encouraged, hang in there, and well, abide. Am I. Lord, we Jesus thank Christ. you so much that you are the victor, and you have called us to have victory over uh, principalities and powers. And all the powers of the enemy, Lord, you are mm-hmm. the victor, and that victory we can enforce by Submitting to you, resisting the devil, uh, you know, using our authority to cast out demons where that is necessary. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your great love for us, that you are good. And you're a God of rescue. You're a God of redemption. You're a God of love. And and that's what your purpose is, to 
destroy the works of the enemy. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would destroy the works of the enemy, that that would be appropriate, that destruction of the works of Satan uh, in our lives through sin, through the lies, that those works will be defeated and destroyed practically. They've been done. They've been accomplished through the cross. And may the practical expression of that victory that Jesus won be in our lives today in the days to come. And we pray this, Father, in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I have an emergency. What is your location? 